Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 68 of DM Discussions, the podcast for players and DMs alike, where we cover a wide variety of topics to help you with your games. I'm your host, Ryan Reeder, and with me, as always, is my good buddy, Ben Bumhopper. How are you doing tonight, Ben? I am doing pretty darn well, Ryan. I hope that you are having a wonderful evening as well. I am. It's, it's a nice evening. It's been really rainy here. That is lucky. I wish it was here. But as everybody I, I knows, assume it's very hot there. It is incredibly hot. And <laughs> if you uh, dug into my backstory, but you understood or you would understand that I am not a fan of the heat. For reasons. Right. For reasons. Like hot. Like mysterious reasons. <laughs> they say it's a dry heat. Yeah. But, it, but at, uh, over 100 degrees, it really doesn't matter. Even in an oven. It sucks. Yep. And but you don't. You know it doesn't suck though, Ben. Uh, rain. Yeah, I know. Well, it kind of does if there's like four or five straight days. Okay, good point. <laughs> but yeah, this isn't weather discussions. Uh, no, this isn't weather discussions. <laughs> what doesn't <laughs> suck, Ryan? <laughs> Can you tell that we haven't caught up with each other yet this week? And so we're just like, hey, look, we're talking. Oh, goodness. Um, you know what we are going to talk about, though? We're going to talk about backstories. Yes. Specifically, player backstories mm -hmm. and the impacts they can have on your game. So this is this is actually a topic that's near and dear to my heart because uh, my current campaign uh one in particular, there's a lot of character backstory stuff going on right now. You probably, if you've been listening, uh, you probably got the idea of that if you listen to our little what we're doing in our games at the end of the episodes. Uh, <laughs> there's a lot, of, a lot of character backstory stuff going on. But we want to talk a little bit about the importance of it. Because sometimes as DMs, we can get so caught up in our own world in our own story uh, and trying to move the plot along that we can neglect the player's story. Mm -hmm. And the player's story is a really big deal because it's what connects them to the world. Sure. There are events and stuff that can happen that can help, you know, tie the characters in. Uh, there are, you know, plot points and stuff. You could you could run a an entire campaign technically without ever touching the players' backstories. But then the characters feel so much more generic. Mm -hmm. It's like you could pick up and take out that character and throw in basically any other character, and the story would have been roughly the same. Yeah. In now, a lot of ways. That being said, if that's how you play your game, that's cool too. Because I know that there are people out there who, you know, they don't develop backstories. They're really looking more for like, say, dungeon crawling or just following the module as written, things like that. We're not saying there's something wrong with that. But if you would like to enhance your world a little bit more or include your players a little bit more, Backstories is really kind of the first and biggest step you can take in that direction. It's it's an enriching experience. Yes. Because like you said, there's no it's it's not wrong to play the more generic way. It's not. 
It's really not. In fact, it can be a lot less work. It is a lot less work <laughs> as a DM <laughs> to not have to integrate a bunch of different plot points or this town or this storyline or you know whatever. Uh, and especially if you play with people that are just like, yeah, my dude's a, a mercenary. That's it. And you have a, a group like that that want to play like that. Hundred percent. Go for it, because that's where your fun will be. However, if you do have players that like the character moments and the character backstory, and they like to be integrated into the world, then taking the time to do that and making them a part of whether it is the module or the homebrew world that you're running uh, makes a lot of sense because that will increase the player's connectedness to the world and the character's connectedness to the world. And so then things, a lot of things can have much bigger impacts than they might have otherwise because this person they're fighting against is not just some random duke. It is one of the character's grandfathers who is an evil tyrant. And so there's a lot of personal like history there and potentially, you know, conflicted feelings as they're fighting this person that they grew up with. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And even more so, you know, if there's something that's going to be happening to a town, if it's your player's hometown, they're going to have those attachments. It's going to be something that, you know, they might fight harder. They might actually, you know, act more aggressive or foolhardy if they're, you know, defending the their old home or the the tavern that they had their first job in or, you know, just anything like that. When Once you're able to kind of connect them to the world itself, you just have grown it in, uh, you know, the whole concept of their character, their lives in the world that much more. And one other thing that's really neat, too, is when you are able to pull in backstories and everything's like this, you actually have a partner in your storytelling because they helped create some of this. So if they want to just go off about, you know, this town and yeah, over there, that's where Timmy and I fell in the well when we were five. OK, great. That's canon now. They It's something that they're playing around with. Um if they want to, you know, give you information about their hometown, like here's the leader, this is what happened. Here's some of the gossip, you know, things like that, that works. Um, I know in my game, I got kind of a, a list of the, the church structure for the country where one of my players came from. And it, it's fantastic. I've been able to use it multiple times because they helped create that and they're bringing their story into the larger campaign into the world. So of course, I'm going to use what I can and help tie them to the world. Yeah. And we've talked about this before and the shared world building. Mm -hmm. Like it's, it's, it's a huge deal because not only does that take some of the weight off of you, especially if you're homebrewing, but it also allows again, an even extra entry point into the buy-in or the, you know, caring about what you're doing. Yeah. Um, I got to tell you, I so starting the whole campaign that I've been running as a one shot, 
kind of made backstory, you know, not important. And then once we kind of decided to move forward, that's when they started building it. So uh, for the first big arc that I had, I wasn't re really able to bring in a lot of those elements because it was a very quick, okay, I need to make stuff up right now. But going into the second arc that we've been playing, I've been able to kind of pick and choose and pull things in and like seeing the recognition on some, you know, people's faces as we're playing, you know, bringing up a name here or location or a story event that happened in their past. It, it really is kind of like a surprise and it, you know, people perk up when they're like, Oh, this is, this is something that's kind of interesting and going on. And not only the person that it affects, but the other players at the table too are that much more interested because these party members that they've been walking around with and doing things with, you're learning more about them. It's not just, okay, we're going to go fight the skeleton together. Okay. Now we're going to go fight this, uh, gelatinous cube together. Okay. Now it's, Oh, Jojo's father was the evil King of this nation. And you're the lost heir to the throne and we're going to try and get it back. I mean, that that's a really big plot point, but you know, yeah, that'd, be, that'd be a fairly, fairly large arc. Yeah. Um, so like even something small as in, oh, I, I, you know, if we walk into this town, I pull my hood up. Well, why are you doing that? You're always happy and jovial and, and you know, you're the bard, you're letting everybody see you. It's like, well, I kind of grew up here and no one knows what happened to me. You know, it's like all of a sudden everybody's interest is peaked or if they're a bard and they had a very bad performance or sang horribly about the, the Lord of the area or something like that, maybe they could be wanted in this town, you know, got both, yeah. both spectrums going on here. Exactly. And, and speaking of spectrums too, that's backstories can come in all sorts of spectrums. And we've, we've touched on this a little bit in, mm -hmm. in some previous episodes, but usually backstories will range from here's like a paragraph to maybe here's a page to maybe here's 20 pages <laughs> of, of different backstory. Um, all of them are good mm -hmm. because because you don't I, I always want as much backstory from my players as they're comfortable doing. Yes. I never like set hard limits of I need you to make at least a page and a half of backstory this um i will usually always ask for something even if it's just the paragraph yeah because then there then as a dm you have stuff to build off of um you always you always want to to have some holes here and there you don't necessarily always want to have every little detail laid out and this just is from a from a player perspective um, cause you want to give your DM a little bit of room to play with and integrate as well. Uh, but that's why I always recommend, well, we've recommended session zeros before those mm -hmm. are big, but always working with your players on your backstory. So usually what I'll do is I'll have my players, um, do the first pass and then send me whatever their backstory is. And then I'll go, okay, this is cool. And then we talk about it. We, I go, okay, uh, could this, uh, what is this? Can you elaborate on this? Or could this potentially be this to fit into the, the setting or, uh, this specific town? Uh, do you want to pick 
something from the continent you're on, or potentially if we're building something out, uh, cool. I'm going to make this an actual town, <laughs> town or city in the place we are. Tell me a little bit about it. And then I can take that and flesh it out further myself. And so then you, again, it's that, that shared buy-in of being able to kind of work with your players to make sure that they have the backstory that they like and that they are interested in, but that also you can integrate it into either the module or the world that you're playing in as well. Mm -hmm. This is one of those perfect examples of where yes and really works well, because you know, when you have someone who comes up with an idea of, hey, this is something that happened in the past. I want to have my character have been doing this. You're opening up a huge story moment of something that happened in the past that is meaningful. So it's like all of a sudden your world is enriched. How much you touch on that is entirely up to you and in some ways the player as well, because there's always the idea that, you know, especially depending on the character, like if you're like a veteran of a war or something, you need to have some sort of war in the background for them to, you know, have come from. Whereas, you know, if you're just a fresh face adventurer, that might be all you need for a background of like, hey, my parents are still alive. I'm going out and experiencing the world for the first time. I'm really green and new. That might be all that they need. But that's still something that you can work with. So having all these different story and plot points just kind of like existing in the world around you helps you determine steps that you can take to integrate things, um, knowing especially like where you're going to be, you know, kind of planning your story to, to um, walk through. You're able to pick and things up, move them around, do what you need to until something is, you know, fully written down in the, the player's backstory section. And working with them on that to figure these things out is so rewarding as well, because what they don't know is they're helping build the future adventure. And that right there is a ton of fun to do, because as all DMs know, turning someone's backstory against them is the greatest thing in the world. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I think that's that's a, a good segue into to the next point I was wanting to make is leave room for surprises. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Um, and this, this goes both ways. This is player surprises for the other characters and DM surprises for the player as well. Um, it's not necessarily, and I, and I mean, again, we are, we're painting in broad strokes with a lot of what we're talking about. None of this is gospel. Uh, a lot of this, there, there will always be, there will always be exceptions to these types of things, mm -hmm. but it's, it is, it is a lot of fun when as a DM, you get to reveal something about the character that they don't know, especially if it ties into another aspect or another piece of their story. One of the one of the biggest examples I have right now is uh, of the, the the current arc I'm running. My ranger has a uh, a backstory of them being an orphan. They didn't know their parents. They don't know how they got to the orphanage or anything. They're uh, they're a gloomstalker ranger, and they ended up going this custom uh, kind of shadowy 
based uh, rogue class, subclass that I, I custom made. And so from a lot of that, I then took that and turned it into this in this massive whole arc of a story explaining the powers, the parents, everything around it that my player had no idea about. And it's been super fun to like reveal that as it, as it goes, but it's based, even though they didn't make any of that up necessarily, it's all grounded in what their character is and based off of what their backstory is. Yeah. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of like play that you can do there in those types of things. Um, and there's a lot of like things you can do to give hints. It, it's sometimes fun as a DM uh, to drop little hints of character things that the player knows about, but the party might not know about. Mm-hmm. And so they run into this person who they know, but the rest of the party doesn't know. And then the party's just like, what happened there? Like, who was that? <laughs> like, why were they so mad at you type thing? <laughs> and so that can be really fun too. That is that is still a surprise, but it is a surprise that the player can then play into as well. So it's really good to have a mix of both of those types of things. Um, one, to just give the player like, oh, crap, I had no idea. That was super cool. Or like, or give the same moment to the party, the, oh, crap, we had no idea type thing. Yeah. And one of the neat things, too, is that um, so if you're using D&D Beyond, you're able to see your if you're the DM, you're able to see your players like backstories, notes, everything like that. Other players can't. So it's still, you know, something that's private and they can, you know, share what they want, obviously. But having that available to you, you can just pull it up really quick, take a peek. It's like, okay, this is what's going on with that. This is that person or, or whatever. And it's very easy to, to have that access as opposed to like, you know, typing it all out or copying it or putting it in your own notes, which of course you can do too. I'm not, I'm definitely not saying don't take your own notes, but one of the neat things about that is, is that sometimes they might have something in there that they forgot that they wrote. And if you just kind of pluck it out and, you know, throw it onto the game board, it's a surprise to them sometimes, which, you know, for better, for worse, someone coming from the past might be, uh, well, an interesting conversation in the very least. Yeah, exactly. The one thing you have to be really careful about, though, while you're doing a lot of this, this play, this interplay and this backstory stuff, is you have to be very cognizant of player agency. Mm -hmm. It can get incredibly easy when you're doing some of this stuff to take player agency away or push them in a direction that they don't want to go. Now, revealing story around them is one thing, but forcing them into a specific direction because of a revealed thing about them, especially if they did not know about it is a completely different thing. And so it's, it's one of those things where if something is going to happen, either just 
and this is just in game in general. Like I'm, I'm it's for backstory. It's very relevant for just in general from a player agency perspective. If something is going to happen to them or they find, say, like a, a cursed item or they, you know, get captured or, you know, someone someone comes in uh, and, and does something or tries to force them to do something that the person who's playing themselves might not want to do in these types of moments or when these possibilities are introduced one of the things I always try to do is go over to the player either before the session or like right after the session and go, okay, this is what could potentially happen. Is this okay with you? Is this the direction you want to go? Or are you aware of the ramifications that this thing or this item or whatever could cause? Mm -hmm. Because the last thing I want to do is make you're playing not fun. Yeah. And so I want to make sure you are on board with the direction that this is or could go, because if not, we need to take a step back and figure something else out. Or from an in-game perspective, you reject this or, you know, whatever. And this is not, this is not to say like, there should be like freedom from consequences or, you know, you, you don't <laughs> suffer the consequences of your actions because I mean, at the end of the day, like if you do something dumb <laughs> or you make really poor decisions, there might be poor outcomes. Yeah. But at the, at the same time that and taking away player agency are not the same exactly thing either. Yeah. Um, for example, they're in, in my game right now. Uh, one of my players is like kind of estranged from, from his father. And it's one of those things where it's like, okay, I know that we're going to address that in the game at some point. Um, in fact, we were, we're at that point now, but beforehand I did want to ask, what does your character, like, what are they hoping from you know uh in interaction like are they is it basically just you know um toxic relationship i'm gone i'm out do is it something that they want to you know rekindle a relationship you know like there's there's a lot of different ways that that can go that that can play out and you're right it is very important that you have an understanding of what the pay, the the uh, player really wants you know, um, Dungeons and Dragons is a, a, a very good, safe place to kind of try out different things, to look at through life from different perspectives, to, you know, uh, tackle subject matter that, you know, might be kind of iffy at times. And being able to know that you're in a safe place, that you have open communication with your players and your DMs so that everybody's kind of working together on this is very important. So for anything big and major like that, always be open, always talk. And, you know, you'll find out that everybody's going to be a lot happier and more comfortable because of it. Yeah. Yeah. Completely agree. It's, it's one of the, it's one of the biggest things when you're, when you're pursuing uh backstory specific stuff. Now as a DM, how do you handle backstory? Uh, my, my recommendation usually to people 
especially especially for homebrew, but this could also apply to like large module campaigns and stuff as well, mm-hmm. is don't. Don't focus on backstory, at least not for a little bit. Um, a lot of times, uh, or sometimes, not necessarily a lot of times, uh, I've been in games where this has happened before, is the DM will try and focus on player backstory too much too early. And this has a lot of potential downsides. Uh, number one, it can be a lot of storylines to juggle uh, early on, because usually when you want to do backstory, you want to make sure that uh, it's balanced and that you don't spend necessarily too long on one specific character while kind of leaving the others out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the second thing kind of follows along with that early on in the story, the party probably doesn't care that much about you. <laughs> That's so true. And that that uh, bit one of the games in the butt that I was uh, I was a player in really hard. The DM tried really hard to integrate everyone's backstories super early on. And it didn't work because no one cared. It's just like, I don't care that your character is going off and doing this huge thing because I've been with you for a week. Like, I I'm not going to go off and just like, you know, fight X, Y, Z or, you know, go off and do this this wild thing because I don't have the relationship yet. I don't have the buy in yet. And so a lot of times, um, especially if you're a newer DM and you're really trying to do something like that, this can actually hinder the story more than help it, especially if you put too much focus on a specific player too early, mm-hmm. because then everyone else, everyone else might feel like they're taking a back seat to this, to this player's story. Now, when you get into it a little bit when you've got some levels under your belt, when the party has had some encounters and had some uh, experiences together, they've gotten to know each other and stuff. Then when it drops that uh, Jim's mystical artifact is missing and he needs it back or else the world will end, then you might care a little bit more. Instead of going, well, Jim, all right, go fix it yourself. I've I haven't known you very long. <laughs> we just we just met like the other right, day in the Jim, tavern. The world's gonna end if you don't get that uh, ring back. Mm-hmm. Sure, uh-huh. yeah. And so it's uh, a lot of times. What I normally try and do is, you can maybe sprinkle little little hints, tiny little maybe little nods here and there. But usually, especially when I'm starting a new campaign, what I try and do is give the party things to do that will build relationship, Mm -hmm. build camaraderie, and build shared experience. Because once you have those things, then introducing full-on backstory stuff that the character, the specific character, will care about, even if the other characters don't necessarily care about it, they will care about the character. And so it will be much easier and it will be much 
much more plausible for the party to then go along with it because they want to help the character that they've known and they fought beside and they've done all this stuff with. And so that's, that's usually how I personally will try and run things, especially starting new campaigns, build the party, build the camaraderie, build the relationships, and then start introducing the backstory. Exactly. There really aren't that many people who are going to help someone move after meeting him the night before at a birthday party. Probably not going to happen. But someone that you've known for a few years, you happen to have a truck, they happen to need some help and have pizza and beer money. Yeah, maybe you'll help them out. Makes more sense. Yeah. Yeah. So um, that's that's something that I recommend really thinking about, especially as you're starting starting new campaigns. Focus the arcs on how do I get these very different, probably, mm-hmm. people that probably didn't know each other before or only knew each other a little bit to do something. Because even even if, and, and I've found this to be true in a lot of ways, just because we're all human and this is kind of how we think, even if you start with shared backstories and you've all known each other for a little bit, in the player's mind, it's brand new. You've just started this. Mm-hmm. So the mindset a lot of times can still be, we haven't done a whole lot. Why do I care about this? Other than just the, oh, yeah, you've been together for six months and you know each other. But the players haven't experienced that yet. And it's that experience through hours and hours and, you know, 10, 20, 30 sessions that then cements that in the players' minds. Mm-hmm. Because, like I said, even even if even if you throw all the backstory together in the world and say, you know, we've done this and we've done this and blah, blah, blah. It can be really hard to get into that mindset unless you've actually just done it. Exactly. And I mean, just to piggyback off it uh, for my campaign, they've gone through they've saved the world. Now we're doing backstory stuff. <laughs> you know, they 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 lived through all that together. They had a, a bunch of different stuff, a bunch of different fights, quests to go all over this this region. And now, you know, we're starting to pick into it. And, you know, the 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 players themselves care. The characters care. You know, there's I've got, you know, two distinct backstories kind of playing together. And it's working really well because even though they're from, you know, different points or different things that happen in those backstories with this, the summit coming up, it puts those stories into perfect positions for them to work. You know, I'm not doing, you know, or shoehorning in as much as I can just be all like, okay, everybody get your shot. It's just working out that way, like really well. And yeah, everybody knows that's, you know, they can't be in the spotlight the whole time and everybody knows that they're not going to be in the background the whole time. So that's another thing. Just really understand, give every player a moment to shine and have it all be fun for everybody. Yeah. And if you, again, if you do that first part, well, then everybody will be okay with giving each player 
their moment to shine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they'll want to because yeah, th- just that built history and friendship that they've had is is enough to really yeah. I'm gonna help my buddy Jim on his quest to find his lost magic ring. I mean, sure, granted, the whole world could be destroyed if we don't find it, but this is Jim's ring. We're working on it. I care about Jim. Yeah, he's a good buddy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and I think and honestly, the the current campaign I'm doing, uh, the first one I'm doing right now, has played that out really well because they ended up being mercenaries. They had been together for a few months. But of course, the players themselves didn't care about these other characters yet. Mm-hmm. So what did we do? We did some mercenary missions. We did three or four of those. First, boom, you got a bunch of stuff under your belt. You seed, I, I seeded in some backstory stuff along the way. And now the rest of the campaign will probably be completely backstory driven in one way or another. And uh, and it couldn't have worked well, or I don't think it would work near as well mm-hmm. if we hadn't done the groundwork first. Yeah. Yeah. It, so. And again, that groundwork is the, one of the most important things for any campaign. Just build from the bottom up and sometimes the top down, but always meet in the middle. Yeah. That's just gibberish, yep. but it sounded good. So. Yeah. No. It, again, communication with your players. That's. Yep. It's the big thing. Communication with your players. Exactly. All right. So moving on, uh, we've got uh, a brand new unearthed arcana that dropped this week. And it is giant in more ways than one. It is so big. It's so big uh, because it's about giant options. (laughs) (laughs) Not not Uh, big options, but literal giants. literal, Literal giant options. Um, so this Unearthed Arcana is all about uh, giants and subclasses. So there are three new subclasses that they dropped with this. One for barbarians, one for druids, and one for wizards to explore deeper ties to giants and the realms they inhabit, which is super cool. So like the barbarian gets Path of the Giant. Um, and so you get the the things like uh, being able, of course, to grow bigger being able to do these like elemental paths, depending on the type of giant path you go. Uh, the Druid is the circle of the primeval. And so you are able to summon this Titanic, eventually Titanic primeval, you know, elemental force um, that can do a bunch of stuff. Uh, the wizard subclass is the rune crafter, which honestly I think is one of the most interesting of the three mm-hmm. because it introduced, a completely new resource in runes, which I really, really like uh, that you can invoke in different ways. Um, I'm hoping there'll be more options like balance in these things is always uh, uh, potentially all over the place. uh, And you really don't know until you actually get to play them. But uh, there's some really cool ideas in here. Um, from a giant, like giant lineage type standpoint. Yeah. And, you know, I got to tell you the circle, the primeval for the Druid looks really cool. And the idea that it's basically a Druid with a pet is something that's a lot of fun. And not only any pet, but a dinosaur pet. Just really yeah. neat. That eventually gets very big. Yes. <laughs> Incredibly so. Cause you know, very it's big. giant. 
Although I would like to see some kind of uh, it would be kind of cool to see some kind of additional like wild shifting type thing for the druid mm-hmm. as well. Yeah, because the you tie, use your wild to, tie to summon the, the companion at this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it'd be cool if it interplayed a little bit more there. Uh, that was that was the biggest thing that I kind of picked up from that. Uh, but yeah, the all the three of the subclasses actually look pretty cool. Um, and of course, we'll have this uh, a link to this in the show notes on dndiscussions.com. The other really big thing, though, that was included in this is some new feats. These are really they, cool. Interesting thing about these feats is that they are level gated feats. So most of the feats uh, have a prerequisite of fourth or eighth level. So this is super cool. There is not much of this type of thing that exists currently. Um, this this to me is is kind of cool because it, it feels like an indicator of future stuff mm-hmm. like okay we're we're starting to get okay with um throwing these things out with uh level gates and why i don't know my hope is that especially as we move toward this 2024 thing that wizards will go okay we're we're fairly mature in our 5e cycle and i i mean Technically, it hasn't stopped growing yet and is still growing by leaps and bounds. Very but true. From an addition perspective, they're they're fairly mature in in the addition. Uh, there's a lot of experienced players now. They've done a ton of stuff to cover the initial tier one, tier two. My hope is, especially with this 2024 revamp stuff, that they will go, okay, there's a lot of experienced people. We have a mature product. Let's start really exploring tier three, tier four. And so totally that's agree. that's my that's my hope. I'm my I'm really hoping that with the revamp, they start going. Okay, we've done so much stuff with this tier one, tier two stuff. Let's start doing a bunch of stuff and fleshing out this tier three, tier four stuff and make a a lot more official stuff on how this should be run and more adventures that take place. Cause I don't think there's an official adventure that's above level 15. I think you're right. Like the, the closest we have would be just, you know, there might be an anthology one shot or something. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. But I think there's like a 15 or a 16 and that that's it. 95% of official content does not go past level 15 and probably most of it doesn't go past level 12, 12 or 13. And so I really want to see them push the upper bounds and kind of explore that higher level space because there is so much cool stuff in that higher level space. And there's so much cool stuff that people miss out on because so many campaigns start at low level yeah. and many of them don't make it past seven, eight, ten. 10. Um, from a DM perspective too, I'm not going to lie. It is a lot more work to run a, you know, a tier three, tier four campaign. It is. Um, 
Your players have a lot more tools. Uh, combat gets more complicated. But at the same time, those tools are super cool. Combat is super cool because you're, you know, dropping meteors and plane shifting and making these force walls and, you know, doing doing all this like wild stuff that lower level characters could only dream of potentially doing. So what I'm hoping for, and I'm hoping like these feats in some way are an indicator of it, is that wizards will really take that higher level stuff and make it official, especially and teach DMs how to play in that arena, teach players how to play in that arena from an official standpoint and not leave most of that high level stuff to third parties. Cause there is some really awesome third party high level stuff, like no question. Oh, definitely. But the, the biggest problem is there's so uh, most of the like CR 15 plus monsters are the funnest ones to run, at least officially from the official monster stand. Cause they can do the most stuff. They have yeah. the most flexibility. They have the most interesting stuff. But as a DM, I rarely get to use those if my campaign only goes one to five or five to ten, maybe at at most. And so I'm hoping I, it's this whole thing has been a tangent, but I'm hoping <laughs> a giant tangent. Yeah, a giant tangent. But I'm, I'm, I'm really hoping that we see a lot more of that from them in the future. I agree. And, you know, if anything, the fact that they're filling out some of these lower level things, I think there's a good chance. So hopefully we'll see how I'm it goes. So. Otherwise, I'm it's just going to be another one of those. Okay. Let's, uh, let's monster fix levels <laughs> 10 to 15 this week or something. <laughs> and we will do it. By yes, golly. We will. We will. We will. Thankfully, though, uh, as I mentioned, there are other people doing that as well. Uh, there are lots of great third party things. I, again, I have to I have to recommend um, if you're looking for like some awesome, like pre-made, ready to run high level stuff like 15 plus 17 plus check out uh, Un Uncaged Goddesses. Uh, it's on the DMs Guild. I think we've talked about it yep. before uh, at one point or another. But there's like 20-some Tier 4 adventures ready to run. And I want to play all of them. <laughs> 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 Just got to find the time. Uh, that's that's always the always the problem. What? But, you're, you're only in three different campaigns. You know, running know, two right? of them, you have time. I get, yeah, it's so much time. But yeah, like if you're looking for something like that, that's a great example of a fantastic, well-made third-party product that helps you as a DM manage that well. It even has pre-made level, you know, high-level characters that you mm -hmm. can just insert into the campaign so that people don't have to go through all the rigmarole of creating. I know some people will love to and will do that in a heartbeat, but some people don't want to mess with the you know, all the the fanciful things of putting together a level 20. Because again, it's a player learning curve too, but the player 
population overall is probably more mature and able to handle those things better now than they were five or six years ago. Yeah. So, um, but there's a lot of great publishers in the third party space doing a lot of really cool stuff for D and D. And one of the coolest things when it's done well from a third party perspective are classes. Yes. There are a decent amount of custom classes on like the DMs guild or that have potentially been done by third party. Um, some are better than others. It's, it is very hard to make a fully custom class that is unique enough that it couldn't just be a subclass from one of the current classes because wizards for the most part has the base classes covered fairly well. And if you don't have something specific, usually you can fit your, your theme or your idea into a subclass of the, the um, current stuff. Mm -hmm. However, there is still plenty of design space for a well-designed, unique full class. Uh, and one of the best ones, uh, or one of the companies that has been really killing it in this space is MCDM. They've mm -hmm. released the, the beast heart, which is a full on like legitimate pet class. It's not, not just like a ranger. It is, it's, incredibly its own thing with full mechanics and synergies with its pet far far deeper than anything the ranger could actually do even probably with a subclass they've done the ill rigger which is basically the anti-paladin um and it's it's very unique in the way it uses a lot of its resources um and very specific in its uh its fantasy well, they're coming out with a new one. They just put it in the beta test uh, a few days ago, and it's called the Talent. And it is basically their version of a psionic class. And Ben, you, you've played some of the older editions. You can correct me if I'm wrong. I believe there was psionics in yeah. some of the older editions. Yeah, in a... a uh, one session campaign that I was in, I, I actually was a psionic and, uh, it was, it was a lot of fun, but, uh, yeah, it was only one session. So uh, apparently some of the other players weren't as happy with me cause I was like way too powerful, but I think that was kind of my DMs understanding on how to play it. Cause at that point I'd never played D and D before. So I was just kind of like, okay, well, if I can talk to people with my mind, let's, coordinate this entire thing and then do a surprise attack on everybody and then boom. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> so I, I, I kind of maybe stretched it a little too far, but anyways, um, it's interesting because like mind flayers are psionic. So there's technically something in fifth edition that has this, except they really have them geared more towards kind of an arcane nature. Um, you know, casting spells and everything. Whereas with the, the psionics uh, that MCDM has done, it's like power based. So like things like counter spell or anti-magic uh, field, things like that don't affect the things that you're able to do. And that's how it really stands apart from the different like casting uh, classes is 
you pull the the power from yourself and you're able to manipulate things with your mind and it's really kind of cool yeah like they uh, wizards introduced some psionic ish type subclasses mm-hmm. to a few of their main classes but again they were still constrained to those classes rules and resources for the most part um it was still spells yeah. kind of at the end of the day Whereas this kind of takes that, like you said, and pulls it back, and it is completely its own thing. It's not spellcasting. It's completely its own resource thing. <clears throat> you have <laughs> – when they when they put this out, I was just like, oh, this is interesting. So they're like, hey, open playtest. Uh, it's our take on psionics and includes seven subclasses, 100 powers, <laughs> gemstone dragonborn – Psionic items, psionic creatures, and supplemental rules for strongholds and followers and kingdoms and warfare. <laughs> and I was just like, what? And I opened the document. And it's just like, oh, 113 pages. They made a book. Yeah. They, they just made another book. So yeah, it's, it is legitimately like it, it's legit. It's like its own thing. Like they, they have really fully fleshed this out. With a, it is a complete take on an entirely new class. So basically, it has this. Um, you have these like six different levels of powers uh, or talents uh, that you can do that are based on uh, different different subclasses like uh, like uh, telepathy or like pyrokinetics or like. Uh, metaphysiology that have you manipulating your body uh, or, you know, different things like that. So that's what those, those seven different subclasses are. Um, And then you, instead of casting with spells, you just cast, but then you have the potential to gain strain. Mm -hmm. And there's three different types of strains, like body, soul, and mind strain. And then they've got a table that tells you, what happens to you when you get to a certain level of strain in everything? And so as a psionic, you then decide via dice and some luck how, and, and then class abilities eventually, how much you want to push your limits. So some psionics, you could really push and do a ton of different stuff. Sometimes you could push and do a ton of different stuff and then have some detrimental effects happen from it. Or sometimes you might be in a situation where you push and get off this huge, like epic thing and then die (laughs) because you pushed yourself too hard. And so I, I think it's, it's an incredibly cool. I've, I've read the first, I haven't jumped into the powers yet. I've, I've read the first like 30 some pages of the like about the class and the subclasses and the the different mechanics and it's incredibly unique it's incredibly well formed i think it would be an absolute blast to play mm-hmm. and so uh we will have the link to that thread and that playtest document if you want to check it out yourself or if you're looking to start a campaign and your dm is very you know homebrew friendly you will not find a whole lot more supplements that are as well put together and as well play tested as MCDM supplements. The, they're very, very good 
about that type of thing. Yeah. So. And just, just kind of looking through these 113 pages, it is very in-depth and has, you know, everything's written out the same way that you would in a, a wizard's book. So you're able to see, okay, well, this is, you know, like the, my, my cyanic path that I'm taking. Here's what I get at level two, level six, level 10. And it's, it's really well written and there's some really awesome stuff in here. Like really cool stuff. I want to play a scion. I know a talent. Yeah, this is pretty good. Yeah, Uh, it's even got it's even got lore as to why there's not a lot of them (laughs) so that you could introduce them into your campaign or your world if you wanted to. Uh, So that's that's kind of cool if uh, if you go with uh, just the the pre-written lore. So definitely check that out if you're interested in that type of thing. Uh, it's definitely something I would use and it's something I will probably end up buying from them <laughs> when it fully comes out because uh, they have incredibly high production values and uh, I love it. Yeah, I've, pretty I've, great. Enjoyed, yeah, I've enjoyed all their stuff. Well, uh, that's it for us for this episode. Um, of course, we're going to jump into a little bit of what we're doing in our games Uh, My hope is that next episode, we will have a guest and we will get to talk about politics in D&D games. In D&D games. Very important. In D&D games. In D&D games. In D&D games. Uh, This is an incredibly interesting topic and one I've been wanting to cover for so long. But both Ben and myself will admit we do not have the knowledge to cover this like it should be covered yes so we will have someone on who can help us cover it both from a dm and player perspective as you introduce politics into your DD game or as you as a player participate in a political heavy D game so that's the plan hopefully hopefully that'll all work out um but i'm pretty excited uh for that uh Potentially for next episode. Me too. Very much so. All right. So before we get out of here, uh, Ben, what have you been up to in your games recently? Wow. So this trade summit has been uh, talked about so much over the past few, well, episodes, just like, you know, past few sessions of D&D. Um, we're getting real close. In fact, four, four in-game days have passed since the last session. And, uh, you know, we use that to kind of dig a little bit deeper into that, that prisoner that was captured, uh, you know, had some errands run and everything. And even more so they, they sat down, they talked with Lord Colville, who was the one who uh, brought them as his, his, you know, personal bodyguards and escorts to trade more. They kind of talked about um, all the different things that they've, they've gathered, uh, you know, evidence wise, they're looking at different plots and conspiracies and trying to really get down to the nitty gritty on everything that's happening and why. And I'm very happy. Um, players don't listen to this, um, but they picked up on a lot of the stuff that I've dropped. So they see like they see the pieces. They haven't fully put the, the connections together, but they're so close at times that I just wanted to be like, just, just inch this just a little bit further. And then boom, you've got the whole thing, but they're getting close. And I'm hoping by the time the actual summit happens, because the night before the summit, there's going to be 
a uh, you know like a, a ball slash dinner slash kind of get together with you know all these delegates as well as affluent people from the town. It's gonna be crazy, and we're gonna see. Who knows what's gonna happen there? I love that, but the even better part is is that one of the other uh, uh, countries who you know sent the, their delegates in, they're on their way. Our cleric and our paladin rode out to meet them because the dwarves who were coming into town were attacked. The elves who were coming into town, so far, nothing's happened to them yet. But it's a family reunion because the cleric has been disowned by his father, who happens to be the one in charge of this whole thing. And it's it's been nerve wracking for me because... I wanted to really make sure that I understood the character and, you know, what was going to play out, how it's going to go. Um, his sister is coming as well as part of the delegation. And luckily, I I really pictured and envisioned her the same way that, that our cleric did. So I've, I've nailed that. I'm really happy about that. Um, as well as, you know, again, using some of the, the people he's given me from, you know, just the, the, the church, from backstory and everything. I'm just kind of pulling it all together. And, I mean, that might be one of the reasons why that was our big topic for today. <laughs> but it's it's come about in such a way that I can tell that hitting those plot points and everything has really, like, added a lot to our game. And I'm really excited to see what's going on further because... um they stepped into his tents and he looked up and saw him. And then that's where we cut the session. So coming up with this next session, it's the, the, the final reunion that we've been waiting for ever since he wrote his backstory. And this is, Ooh. it's exciting. It, it really Ooh. is. Especially since so much of his backstory has to do with like what his father wants of him. And in some ways he's a hundred thousand times like surpassed that with what he's done in in the campaign so far. And I mean, who knows how he's going to take it? What's going on with everything? Like it's all just really great. And it's culminating into something that I'm really having a fun time with. That is excellent. My players are the best. I know you like yours, but mine are the absolute best. I'll fight you. Oh, and even better too. They're they're pretty awesome. Um, this is something I loved is that uh, so as the the paladin and cleric are saying like okay well we're both half elves we should probably go alone and meet the elves and they're sitting there with Lord Colville the NPC and so he suggested well if they're really in danger shouldn't you bring all of them and one of them immediately said that's the DM right there telling us that we should probably all go and so I I did like a hard stop and like no you can do whatever you want. That is his opinion. I don't care what you guys do. You can split. You can all go four in four different directions. We'll continue this game. It'll be harder for me, but we will do that. So, yeah. It, it Hilariously, out- that's that's also a topic I want to talk about. Sometime. Okay, cool. Um, but yeah, so they did end up splitting the party. And so two of them are still back in town kind of doing stuff. Uh, in fact, they went to go talk to uh, my... My favorite shopkeeper of this town, uh, Herman, the awakened German shepherd. Um, so they talked to Love him. him. Yeah. Love oh, him. he's he's amazing. One of the he's best a, uh, uh, magic a, shop owners I've had. Yeah. Yeah. He, uh, he runs the buried scroll. It's amazing. Uh, so they went and talked to him, you know, talked about some stuff. And 
uh, identified some of that ore that they found in in Kember, that lost dwarven city. And turns out that it's stuff that's as dumb as the name sounds, planium. You can actually uh, forge that into a tuning fork and imbue it with the the plane shift spell itself. So you don't actually need to know the spell. And it has a cooldown. I'm totally making it like sliders. How's the remote? And like after 24 hours, you can jump again. Really excited about that. Anyways. So yeah, just overall, we're having a lot of fun. And uh, oh God, I love D&D. Uh, what about you? What's been going on with your uh, campaigns? Because you've got a lot of really cool stuff happening. And there was a huge, huge like cliffhanger last time. Oh my gosh. And we played that. We played that super huge cliffhanger. Uh, and I got to I got to use some of the uh, to, uh, you, you know me, Ben. We've talked <laughs> about this before. I, I have I, I have a horrible habit of mm-hmm. homebrewing, homebrewing everything or partially homebrewing everything. Because it's just like all. it's just like, oh, I found something, but it's not quite what I want. I'm almost there. Just gotta <laughs> tweak and add or uh, just make a whole thing and before you know it's you know you've got a whole new bestiary um <laughs> but yeah so uh speaking of like split party uh i kind of had to come up with uh with a mechanic of how my my split party uh to try and give them uh at least a chance to come back together hmm. before these uh shadowfell hounds find them uh, or found, you know, their quarry that they were looking for. So I ended up doing like a percentile type roll. And then basically the difference between what the hounds got and what uh, my two players who were trying to get back got, I let them come up with creative ways to try and basically bridge that gap mm-hmm. to get back in time. Um, and depending on what they did, I was able to add additional stuff it was it's a it was, you know it's a very very loose system but i wanted to give them a potential chance to to get back before this this big yeah. uh thing happened and they did and boy was it a good thing that they did oh that close uh, huh it was it was uh it was fairly close but more more so the level of difficulty and what happened in the encounter more than anything. So, uh, as you might assume, Shadowfell hounds travel in packs. Yeah. Um, and so basically our ranger, uh, our ranger rogue was kind of keeping an eye out to, to see, uh, ended up, you know, seeing the friends coming back, uh, Aarakocra. So they ended up flying polymorphed, uh, the wizard into a mouse so that uh, she could carry <laughs> carry her faster. <laughs> it was a brilliant idea. Um, and we're able able to get back in time. Um, and I had our, you know, the ranger make a perception check to kind of keep an eye out for anything coming. They got a 30. Oh, natural 20 plus 10. Uh, so they spotted kind of everything as it was coming. This figure this tall cloaked figure in the distance raising their hands and basically this wall of black and purple surrounding the inn and the area around the inn, which ended up them finding out turned out basically they got trapped 
in this shard of the Shadowfell. Ooh. So so they were kind of trapped in this the Shadowfell shard around them. And because of that, it gave the enemies certain things like being able to dim the lights <laughs> in all the, <laughs> the area and stuff. And so I tried to run the whole thing. It's almost kind of a horror horror thing. Yeah. Um that so these these giant Shadowfell hounds were just like popping out of shadows of the floor and the wall and just attacking uh, the party uh, causing their own shadows to rise up against them and hold them down. Um, their bite uh, has the, had this cool uh, mechanical property called etherealize, which basically if they failed their check at the beginning of their turn, they had to roll a D 20 and if they got a 10 or lower, they would become ethereal for the round. Okay. And that means dropping all things they were carrying. So all their weapons slide through their hands. That's um, cool. And since the hounds are kind of partially, you know, planar and stuff, they could still attack them. Uh, so they had to come up with creative ways to to figure out how to deal with the potential of like, you know, shifting out and then back in. Uh, so it was it was it was a really fun mechanic that I hope to get a play around with. A little more at some point, probably, probably will, uh, especially if they end up going to the Shadowfell, well, which it seems really like that's cool. the direction they're heading. Uh, but essentially, it was all kind of a distraction because the Hound's main goal was to capture the Ranger and pull her back through the shard. Okay. So. While everything was, everyone was being distracted, and she was kind of up on the balcony on her own. One of the dogs manages to grapple onto her, jump into a shadow, and begin pulling her toward the barrier. Oh no! At this point in the fight, everyone's low. They've they've knocked out like one or two of them. Uh, so our um, our warlock dimension doors to try and get get out to her and the dog manages to pull her like halfway through the barrier <laughs> and at one point um she's got this like shadow pet that she can swap places with and this is this is one of those player agency things actually that kind of came into play mm-hmm. she's like i'm gonna try and you know swap teleport to get out of out of this grasp and out of this thing and I'm like, are you sure? Are you really sure you want to do that? And so this was like, this is one of those things where I didn't come out and say it, but heavily implied, like, like roll an intelligence check, like do like do these certain things to the point of, oh, maybe if I do that, half of me is in another plane and only <laughs> half of me will teleport type type thing. And so they didn't end up doing that, which is which is really good. That's probably um, really good. Because <laughs> we would have had to figure out something to do with the legs or, it, you know, uh, potentially reviving with just half a body. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I don't know <laughs> how that would have worked. That would have been uh, very, very awkward. But thankfully, that decision didn't get made. Uh, it ended up being, though, that the sorcerer polymorphed into a giant ape. And because none of the party is strong, like I think the highest strength score is like a 10 or maybe a <laughs> 12. 
and the whole thing. So they are just trying and doing everything they can to pull her back out as the thing is, you know, sucking her in. Oh, that's great. And, but the, yeah, the sorcerer finally, they polymorphed into a giant ape, managed to pull her out, and then they're all just, uh, <laughs> just <laughs> complete, like, so low, fully resources spent and stuff. And then I kind of narrated how, like, shards of light started cracking through this and breaking through and this whole barrier shattered and they're back and mm-hmm. it's dawn. And so uh, I basically had our, our wizard kind of make a, you know, history role and such to come to find out that time can sometimes pass differently in, in different yeah. planes in in the shadow fell. So those few five or ten minutes they were in this thing was hours. And so they were able to outlast these creatures that were trying to get them and survive to daylight, which Shadowfell creatures do not like daylight. Yeah. And so now they they've survived. They have they haven't had a long rest at all because they were just trying to stay up for the night so they didn't get surprised. So now they're ne- they're going to need to figure out how do we use this time wisely before potentially before dark again, and maybe we'll get assaulted again, or who, you know who knows uh, what could potentially happen. And so they've got this uh, planar dust that they need to try and find to power this device uh, that the the man who came uh, so they can get back to the Shadowfell if they want to. And there's only two places to get it. And they're both kind of guarded, but one is way more guarded than the other. And so they might have to heist it. Who knows? It's It'll be interesting to see what uh, what direction they end up taking for that. But I'm I'm really excited. Like the where we're getting close to potentially turning this into a little bit of a planar adventure uh, and I think it's going to be a lot of fun. That's really cool. I mean, I love the idea that that a sliver of the shadow fell, you know, or they were pulled into it. And I mean, that's a smart thing to do. It's it's definitely an evilish thing of, well, I'm just going to bring you to where I'm the most powerful. Let's just do that. Yeah. Now. Home like home turf. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, home turf. Knowing that doing so might cause a time crunch. Mm-hmm. And uh, and yeah, and it and it worked out and it it worked out really well. I thought the encounter went really well. Uh, It was uh, of sufficient difficulty for what I was going for, which was which was super good. Um, I thought it was it ended up being very thematic. A lot of the the abilities and stuff that these these hounds were able to do. So I was I was really honestly pretty happy with how the how the whole thing turned out and I'm really excited to see what that what that group does next. Very cool. That's that's uh it for me. That was a that was a long one. Uh, that was a that was a wild. <laughs> that was a wild <laughs> ride. It went we went like an extra hour and a half uh past our normal session time because we were in the middle of this and I was like I I know it's late and everyone's just like, let's finish this. <laughs> so I was like, let's do it. And, you know, then it's, you know, 1.30 a.m. or something like that. But totally worth it for the Not most bad. part. Yeah. Yeah. For some reason on my session, 
I actually timed it perfectly to right when our normal end time happened is right when that that <laughs> we cut off. So that's a man. It, like it was interesting that, that I was able to do that. Amazing. I was happy, good job. But <laughs> good job. <laughs> yeah, I normally don't like to go too too late for sessions, but as you know, there are some times that you necessitate just everyone just being like, "Who cares? Let's do this thing." Exactly. But yeah, but, oh, it sounds like you had a lot of fun, and I am. It was a lot like, of fun. Super excited to hear more. Honestly, you, you've got a good story going on there. I'm yeah, I'm I'm very excited to see see where this story takes us. Uh, but that is it for us tonight. Uh, thank you, everyone, so much for listening. Um, just to our our chatting and our ramblings, uh, we really appreciate you. We really appreciate your feedback. We really appreciate the emails and the tweets uh, and such. And we cannot wait to do our, our next episode. Because like I said, this is this is one of the ones where it's just like we have this planned out ahead of time, uh, and it's a subject we've been wanting to talk about for a while. So I'm super stoked about that. Yeah. But until then, uh, Ben, why don't you tell everyone where we can be reached? You bet. Um, if you're looking for us and you're like, hey, you know, this show, it's pretty cool. I wish there was more. Well, there is 67 other episodes. You can find us on your podcast player of choice or pretty much right where you're listening right now. Now, if you want to reach out and you say, hey, I've got this awesome backstory that I really want to talk to you guys about and share because it was it turned out the best and it's the best story there is. Hey, you can email that to us. We love getting emails and reading about your sessions. Uh, send those to dndiscussions at gmail.com. Now, if you have something a little more short form that you'd like to share with us, send those to us on Twitter. We are at dndiscussions. If you're looking for Ryan specifically, he is at tbkzord. If you're looking for me specifically, I'm at Ben Bumhofer. Now, if you've gone through this whole episode and you're like, wow, that's really great. I wish I could be a fly on the wall when Ryan and Ben play. Well, guess what? You can't. We are on a persistent campaign podcast called Plus Five to Hit. Right now we're going through Rhyme of the Frostbaden. Wow, stuff happened. And I'm really looking forward to the next session on that. So check out Plus Five to Hit if you want to hear us playing. We, know, we have a ton of fun on that. Ah, oh, and yeah, that's that's about it. Yeah, cool. So uh, yeah, everybody, thank you very much for joining us on this episode of DN Discussions. It was a blast as always, Ryan. Thank you very much for just chatting with me about one of my favorite subjects. And uh, everybody out there, same, same. Till next time, be good to each other. Take care, and we'll see you soon.